Good morning, Elmwood Park Bible Church. It is such a joy to worship with you, and if I sound a little different, um, that's because I feel a little different too. Um, thank you so much for your prayers. I cannot tell you how terribly it grieves me that I was not here with you uh, Friday night. I understand Daniel did a, a great job filling in, and I should have warned him to sandbag a little bit so you wouldn't throw rocks at me when I get back. But um, it is a joy to worship with you. Happy Easter. Now, that sounded a little less enthusiastic. <laughs> Happy Easter. Thank you. My dear friends, this is the day that brings us great joy. You realize this is the day that distinguishes the Christian faith from all other religious practices and religious systems, belief systems in the world. This is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from the resurrection, he is nothing more than a dead hero. Because of the resurrection, he is our risen Lord, the one sovereign over all of creation, over life and also over sin, death, and the grave. This is the day that makes the difference in all things. And this is the day that distinguishes us as his followers from all of those who do not follow him. So I bring you great greetings that he has risen and rejoice in the fact that that is true. I want to uh, invite you, if you haven't already, to turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 will set aside uh, Joshua for the day. As we uh, look at uh, an event that follows the resurrection, in a message that I've entitled a persuasive pitch, You know, there are some things in our American society that despite the fact that we all seem to despise them, they persist. Um, One of those is grocery checkout tabloids. You know, I have, uh, I've never bought one. I have read a few uh, headlines as I've uh, stood looking for some way to occupy my mind while I wait for the checkout line to move. Uh, But, you know, I've never known anyone who's actually gotten one of those things and read a story or two and said, man, that is great journalism. I have never heard that. Um, You know, another one of those things that seems to persist, though no one really likes them, or at least we tend to complain about them, are infomercials. Now, if you're an insomniac or Uh, You've gotten to the point in life where you tend to wake up in the middle of the night with stuff on your mind and you turn on the television. It's it's pretty likely that anywhere you go, you're going to find somebody trying to sell something. And, um, you know, I was reading recently um, the name Ron Popeil you may be familiar with. Those of us us who are of a a certain age... um, we remember when everything he sold was under the brand name Ronco, which was uh, part of his um, uh, part of his name. Vegematics, Chopomatics, um, um, Mr. Microphone was one of his uh, inventions, uh, and he is also credited with uh, being the person who invented the inf- infomercial. Now, one of the things that's common about infomercials, if you've ever taken the time to watch one or or you just couldn't find anything else on uh, television as you were flipping through, is that every infomercial starts with uh, a pitch man or woman, 
somebody who's uh, selling something to uh, make our life easier, make it uh, faster, more convenient, help us to look better, sleep better, um, live better, cook better, uh, whatever. Um, but it, it all starts with a persuasive pitch man or woman. And the persuasion of the person has to come down to uh, the matter of credibility. They have to be believable. There are a number of ways that they um, tend to convince us of that, but it starts at that point. Well, what does that have to do with us, you may wonder? Well, this morning as we consider the resurrection, I believe it is something that every human on the planet will have to respond to in some way, particularly those who live within the influence of the gospel, the easy reach of the gospel, as people in the United States generally do. We have to deal with the reality of the resurrection. It is a bold claim. As a friend of mine wrote recently, it is a bold claim that Jesus, after the third day in the grave is raised from the dead. Again, he defeats sin, death, and the grave. It's a bold claim. And it is a claim that we all have to deal with. It's a, it's a call for us to respond. Again, another common element of the infomercial is as you get to a certain point, there is that call for you to respond in some way. For you to pick up the phone, you know, punch in your credit card number, go online, somehow let go of the George Washingtons you have in your your wallet and your bank account in order to get something. Now, Jesus obviously isn't trying to sell us anything. In fact, what he offers us is free. But he does call for us to respond to this claim of the resurrection. In fact, the resurrection is itself a call for a response. We see that play out in the text that Daniel read for us earlier uh, this morning in John chapter 20. Following the resurrection, we find that uh, Thomas is now with the other disciples. And he had not been around when the others had had first seen the risen Christ. We're not told exactly why. We're only told that he wasn't around. And we uh, we have, at least during most of my lifetime, seemed to have demonized Thomas because of his lack of faith, his lack of belief. We call him Doubting Thomas. A friend of mine back in the Carolinas told me that he named one of his, gave one of his sons the middle name Thomas because he always admired Thomas as a pursuer of truth. It wasn't doubting. It wasn't that he disbelieved, but he simply wanted to be convinced. And I think Thomas really is somebody that 21st century Americans can identify with. He is, again, someone who is seeking evidence. He wants to be convinced, not just by someone's testimony, but by the facts. He wants to see the evidence. Notice with me as we see Jesus um, interacting with Thomas, his persuasive pitch to convince Thomas of the reality of the resurrection. Notice first that Jesus patiently and persistently calls us to faith. Jesus patiently and persistently calls us to faith. Look at verse 24. 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Again, eight days earlier when Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, Thomas was not there. We're not told why, but he simply wasn't there and he says i am not going to be convinced until i see it for myself and notice the response of jesus when he shows up john tells us that thomas is the one he goes to immediately but notice that jesus does not scold him for his disbelief he does not demonize him he does not tell him you should believe He invites him to believe. He patiently and persistently calls Thomas to examine the evidence that he said he must see. He says simply, do not disbelieve, but believe. Rather than scold Thomas, Jesus calls upon Thomas to believe. He he condescends to where Thomas is. He meets him where he is and patiently and persistently calls him to believe. And it's important for us to recognize that as he's calling for Thomas to believe, he's calling for him to do something more than just acknowledge the factual reality. You see, the essence of the word that's translated as believe here in the New Testament, is a call for trust. He's not saying, Thomas, acknowledge the reality of my resurrection. He is calling him, Thomas, trust in the truth of the resurrection. Trust in me. Trust in my power. Trust in my authority over sin, death, and the grave. Trust in that resurrection. Again, we see... Jesus' patience and persistence. This is not an unusual thing. In fact, Peter spoke of the patience of the Lord as he wrote in 2 Peter 3. He said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The patient, persistent call to faith. The patient, persistent call to trust. On a Tuesday evening in July of 2004, there were thousands of people who sat angry on a bridge and a highway toward that bridge along the Gulf Coast of Florida. These thousands of people were angered 
because they sat there without an understanding of why they were sitting there. They sat there in hours in the baking Florida sun in July. As the bridge was closed at rush hour at 5 p.m. It was later revealed that what had happened is that a man named Michael Vincent had climbed onto the bridge. And like 150 people before him had planned to jump. He had been accused some months earlier and was in fact guilty of damaging his son's brain by shaking his child. Overcome with fear and guilt, he went to take his life. And yet for hours, negotiators for the sheriff's office pleaded with him. And finally, about 9.15 that evening, Michael Vincent stepped back off of the edge of the bridge. There were many people, again, who complained. I can only imagine what it would have been like had it happened today with social media. But the sheriff's office was unapologetic. The sheriff said, that when you deal with matters of life and death, one must be patient. So how does this apply to us? Well, my friends, I am convinced that all around us are people who are open to the gospel. They are open to hearing the claims of Jesus. They are open to considering the facts of biblical truth. But it is important for us to, like Jesus, patiently and persistently call them to faith. Not to scold them for their unbelief. Not to scold them for their lack of church attendance. Not to scold them for their lack of of being what they ought to be. Not to scold them into some behavior modification. My dear friends, I believe there are legions around us who are believing people waiting and willing to respond to the good news of Jesus. And yet Jesus will patiently and persistently call them and recognize that in this New Testament age, Jesus will do that in the same way that he does everything else, and that is through his people. We today are his instruments that he uses to patiently and persistently call those around us to faith. It may require us to sit in the presence of someone who will scoff at our faith. It may cause us to sit in the presence of someone who will complain about religious leaders who they see as failures. It will cause us to sit in the presence of someone who might use language that we find unsettling and unsavory. But my dear friends, I believe that Jesus still patiently and persistently calls people to faith just as he did with Thomas. 
Notice also that Jesus offers happiness to those who believe. In verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, one of the things that became apparent to me at some point in my Christian walk, perhaps when we were planting in Arizona and I got to spend a lot of time around lost people, we, we church folk have our own lingo. Now, I've noticed that church folk often throw around words and, and there's sometimes a lack of certainty about what they mean. I, I think this is one of those words, blessed. In the New Testament, the concept and idea behind this word is a happiness. A happiness that's not based on circumstances, whether everything's going our way, whether whether we like our job, whether we like the circumstances of our life, whether we like the people we have to live next to or work with. No, but an inner happiness that is dependent not upon the circumstances around us, but dependent upon what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And Jesus says, blessed are those Happy, internally happy are those who have believed, who have trusted, even though they have not yet seen. Friends, this is a part of Scripture where he is speaking directly to us. For those of us who have believed in 21st century America, we weren't there in that place. We haven't put our hands in his side. We haven't placed our finger in the nail holes of his hands. Yet we have trusted his death in our place. We have trusted his defeat of sin, death, and the grave. We have trusted him not only for our eternal future, but we have trusted him also for our temporal present. Jesus says, Blessed are we, happy are we, because we have believed without seeing. Jesus offers happiness to those who believe. Again, I'm reminded of Peter's words in 1 Peter 8. He writes to those who did not enjoy the advantages he did, being there to see with his own eyes the resurrected Lord. He says in 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even as John records Jesus saying, blessed are those who Believe without seeing. Peter writes to those who are like us who have not seen. And he says as a result of that, you have joy that's inexpressible. My dear friends, 
going back to the example of a, an infomercial, an effective pitch man, you know, for something to persist long term, it somehow has to deliver. Ron Popeil, I mentioned earlier, you know he has sold more than $2 billion worth of stuff on television, worth of Vegematics and Mr. Microphones. And uh, the new, uh, I forget the name of it, but this oven that uh, has been his most recent, one of his most recent big hits. And one of the things that Ron Popeil said in an interview once is that people think of him as an effective marketer or salesman. And certainly he is that. But he said, you know, I am first and foremost an inventor. He said, no matter how persuasive the pitch is, you have to have a product to sell. You have to have something that is useful, something that is helpful, something that people believe in and will Uh, somehow find that it does help them. Many of the products Ron Popeil has sold over the years continue because they were somehow useful and beneficial. Some of them you can't find anymore unless you pick it up at a garage sale. His point was you have to have something to deliver. And friends, that is what we have to offer to the world. Again, you see, the Christian faith is not just about getting together and singing songs. And please understand me, I don't minimize any of that. It is crucial to us as New Testament believers to worship in gathered fashion. The Bible tells us that. But my friends, we have a reason to gather. We have a reason to worship. We have a reason to celebrate the resurrection. We have something to offer to the world. Again, all around us are people who who live lives in anguish. And yet, Jesus offers life that's eternal and abundant. How relevant this is to 21st century Americans. You know, back near the, <clears throat> near the end of the last century, there was a woman in her 80s who died after spending quite some time disoriented and frail. It's not at all unusual that someone in their 80s would die in that condition, but this woman had spent most of her 81 years in misery. And yet when she was born in 1912, she was called the richest little girl in the world. The fortune that her father left her at the age of 12 was never enough to satisfy her. In her 20s, she wasted much of her life in rampant promiscuity keeping company with so many different men that she was uncertain of the identity of the father of her child, who was born prematurely in July of 1940. That child died less than a full day later. 
And for the next 50 years, despite all of her wealth, despite all of what the world would say is valuable and important, for the next 50 years, she spent untold sums of money traveling around the world, consulting assorted witch doctors, mystics, and mediums as she desperately tried to find some happiness through contacting her daughter who lived less than a full day. Less than 10 years before this wealthy heiress died, she adopted a woman in her 30s, convinced that this woman was her dead daughter from long ago, now reincarnated. It was a horrifically tragic life, if you ask me. That relationship would eventually sour. And when Doris Duke died in 1993, she trusted no one. By the way, that was her father's advice to her as a child, to trust no one except for her butler. And he himself was a rather questionable character. $1.2 billion, loose life, an empty search to reach her daughter, and all of it came to misery. Now, friends, that's an extreme example to be sure. But I assure you that there are many people who live around us. There are people who live in my neighborhood who are chasing after satisfaction and hope and prominence and possessions and position and authority and recognition. They are seeking to satisfy themselves with things that simply cannot satisfy. And all the while, Jesus says, Blessed, that is happy, are those who have not seen me with their own eyes, who have not touched me, and yet they believe. My dear friends, again, Doris Duke is an extreme example, but I would venture a guess that in the course of our lives, we have people around us who like her are searching for something in the wrong place. And all the while, as Jesus following people, we have what brings to them genuine happiness. As Peter said, the faith that brings joy, we have that. And we have it to offer to them. Part of what makes Jesus a persuasive pitch man is because he has something to offer and we have something to offer as we are his followers. The final characteristic of this persuasive pitch is that Jesus brings life to the dying. Jesus brings life to the dying. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, John's gospel was written very late in his life. He had spent time, of course, with with Jesus, was one of the three disciples closest to him, often referred to himself as the, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Late in his life, as he's seen many events occur, he has yet to see many other tragic events occur near the end of his, closer to the end of his life. He writes the revelation. But John's persistent message to those who will hear is that this Jesus offers life. This Jesus offers life. If you're familiar with the arrangement of John's gospel, you know that in the early part of the book, there are seven signs, seven miraculous events where Jesus demonstrates his authority over the natural created order, demonstrating himself as supernatural, culminating in chapter 11, with his lordship over death as he raised Lazarus. But then as John continues to tell the story, suddenly even the raising of Lazarus seems a little anticlimactic. Because now Jesus has not just defeated death for one man. He's not just defeated death temporarily for one man but he has defeated sin, death, and the grave. And he offers to those who believe life. My dear friends, again, there are people all around us who may put one foot in front of the other, but are simply dying. When Cindy and I lived in Arizona early in our days there, we had the opportunity to meet a couple in their driveway. We were getting to know people, welcoming welcoming them to the community. They had just moved in. And in time, I had the privilege of officiating their wedding. I had the privilege of leading this woman and her eventual husband, to faith in Christ. I had the great joy of baptizing them as they proclaimed their faith in Christ to the world. And sometime after that, there was another couple in our church who had known them for many years. You see, this woman worked in a very stressful world. She worked in Maricopa County Probation and her caseload was exclusively sex offenders. She and a case, case, um, 
she and a co-worker of hers, who all had, also had the privilege of went into the Lord and baptizing as a brother in Christ, told me stories that, frankly, I wish I could forget. And this other couple who had known them for years because they had lived next door to them in another part of the valley for many years. I was visiting in their home, and the wife of that second couple told me, she said, Dennis, you can't know the difference in her life. She said, you don't know the person we knew. And she talked about how they would have community events where they lived. They all lived on a cul-de-sac, and there were a handful of families that would get together for all sorts of special occasions. And the wife of the second couple told me that the other young woman would just simply sit in the corner, quiet, sullen, always suspicious, never wanting anyone behind her, watching, never interacting. It sounded like such a different person than the one I knew. And when I told her that, she said, that's my point to this. She said, Jesus has given her life. Again, friends, all around us are people who are simply putting one foot in front of the other, dying inside, somehow trying to figure it out, oftentimes enslaving themselves to systems of rituals and habits that they think will make them happy, buying into one philosophy or another, seeking satisfaction in one human relationship or another, and yet never finding fulfillment. My dear friends, if we are followers of Jesus, we have what they are seeking. Again, John says, to those who believe, he has given life to the dying. As we conclude this morning, I simply want to ask you where you are. Where is your trust? The fact that you're here indicates at least some understanding of Christian rituals. But is your trust in this Jesus who defeated death? Is this trust in this Jesus who died in your place? Is your trust in the one who took upon himself your sin and died your death? Friends, I don't care how good a person you attempt to be. You will never find fulfillment in being good enough because we simply aren't capable. And I would simply call upon you to trust in the one who offers life to the dying. I want to call your attention quickly to our bottom line. Notice first that Jesus is trustworthy. 
Again, the resurrection distinguishes him from all other religious leaders of the past or of the future. He has defeated sin, death, and the grave. He is trustworthy. Notice also that following Jesus brings blessing. Trusting him for our eternal future, trusting him in our temporal daily walk brings us happiness. Not the circumstances of life, but who he is. And finally, only, only, only faith in Jesus brings us hope. Will you bow your heads with me this morning?